Often, you hear the stories of individuals in a sporting organization, such as the players, coaches, and managers. It's not as common that you hear the story of individuals working behind the scene. I'm Taiwa Deshigbin, a sports journalist partnering with Arizona Sports Collective to share the stories of various stakeholders in the sports world. The most part, we're really open-minded. You know, we, we tell people, if you can sing along, sing along. If you can't, it's okay. Just, you know, just, just vibe with it. Just, just roll with it. Mm-hmm. And go from there and then, you know, keep coming back as much as you can. That's Marco Medina, one of the founders for Los Banditos, the Phoenix Rising FC supporting group. Where do you consider home? I'm a bit of a nomad. So wherever my people are, that's my home. <laughs> but Phoenix, for sure, uh, by far. I got to have a lot of experiences in terms of uh, personal fulfillment and empowerment in Phoenix. That mm-hmm. sense that you are a part of something. Were you born in Phoenix? I was actually born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, wow. So you've came yeah. ways. Well, yeah. growing up, what exposure did you have to sports? I lived most of my life in Salt Lake City. So for a large part of it, there wasn't an actual football team in, in Salt Lake until Real Salt Lake came around. But because of the makeup of the population in Salt Lake, that rubs off on the culture of the team, of the club. So I just never felt like I fit in until I was able to move to Phoenix. But other than Real Salt Lake, I mean, I feel an affinity for the Jazz. You know, that, those were my earliest sports memories was at a Jazz game back when, you know, John Stockton and Carl Malone were, were playing. So those, those oh, are my nice. earliest sports memories. Really, I mean, it was all in a very family-friendly setting, you know, and, and that's fine. That's kind of what you're going to find in Salt Lake. My grandparents, my especially my grandfather is the one that kind of taught me the most about uh, footy and, and stuff like that, and how the game works, kind of the history of it. You know, he would bring me jerseys, you know, of, you know, whatever teams they went for and stuff like that. So that was kind of my earliest exposure to the sport. So you mentioned how you got connected somehow in Phoenix to sports. What exactly happened? Well, I was already madly like in love with football by that time. Um, I kind of found football when I was about 13. Um, everyone in my school was starting to discover like European football. Right? Long time goes by. I'm already like way deep into the game and how much I follow it. And when I moved to Phoenix, I finally like come across this trend at the time where people were meeting up in the bars, you know, to watch a game, you know, whether it was Liverpool or whatever. So uh, through this community, people that would watch matches at the pubs or at the bars, that's kind of how I got to know like the network of football community in Phoenix. Our usual go-to for Bandidos is we usually have like a little session where we try to go like bar hopping or pub crawling like around downtown. So we have a, we have a special spot for each little bar, but right now I'm in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. I'm just keeping up with the game, you know, keeping up with the group chat, going at like a hundred messages per, per minute. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Los Banditos football firm. How did that yeah. group come about? There was a prior group that I was uh, that I was leading beforehand for Arizona United, which was kind of like the team that existed before Phoenix Rising, before it got rebranded. And um, there was a there was a, like an incident with the prior owner of that team, who took a picture with Mike Pence. You know, even before Bandidos, when I was in charge of that group, I didn't make it explicitly political, but I did take exception to that. Uh, I made like a very public announcement saying that we were going to boycott games as long as he was the owner by sheer stupid luck they sell the team the next (laughs) day like 
crazy, crazy coincidence. So <laughs> we're like, oh shit, we're going to the game after all. <laughs> but, but so we do that, and that caught the attention of um, someone who was living in Phoenix, and you know, his name is Zach, and he was interested to see as to what was going on locally, you know, in terms of supporting the local side, because he had also tried his hand at it several years prior. So we were just talking about it, kind of trying to see if we were like on the same same wavelength in terms of how things should be done with the group, in terms of politics, in terms of uh, what we believe should be a supporters group. And then it started from there. We believe that a team should be supported by a group that goes nonstop all 90 minutes long. You know, the songs go for at least four minutes each one. Um, there's no pausing in between. You know, we don't like cell phones getting out during the game amongst our group. You know, we try to make away games as much as possible. All of the banners and flags and, and choreos and tifos we make are done by us, funded by us. That kind of attention to detail is something that we found that we found in common right away between me and him. Started talks to do it in 2016, late 2016, and then we were ready to go by 2017. So we started with like six, eight people. Now we're over 50. So you mentioned how you wanted to have a support group that was cheering on the team for the full 90 minutes. Yeah. Besides that, what was the mission for the group initially? Basically, it was to show that a different level or a different way of supporting is possible, you know, no matter what level or what sport even, like you're attending. So unfortunately, like in Phoenix, it's kind of like a reputation of, you know, if, if a team isn't winning or doing what, really well, then the fans don't really come out, right? You know, or they, they just don't get that into it. Well, we wanted to show that regardless of the level, regardless of how the team is doing, you know, you can expect something more of yourself at the very least. And maybe just maybe that can push the team on to do a little bit better. Kind of being the example of the, of the fan base is kind of like the overarching, like long-term goal, kind of pushing people to realize that, you know, you don't just have to sit on your hands and be on fun the whole game. You don't just have to spend the whole game getting uh, just completely blacked out. And over the years, how do you feel the support group has been able to stay committed to that mission that you kind of talked about? From the get-go, from the very start of the group, me, like, and Zach, and, and eventually Alicia and, and, and Christian, we were always of the mindset that we were never, like, in, in favor of memberships. We were never never in favor of, of like, mem- of dues, of fees or anything. We were never in, in favor of, like, having a board or a president or a chairman or anything. We were always just about if you can help out in the group by helping set up, if you can help out by painting banners or for flags or whatever, then do that. If you can help out by having a part in the group, then do it to your fullest and we will love you for it. This is, it's just about being honest with what you want to be. And it's about being honest with like the fact that we are totally not corporate people there are a lot of groups that exist like that within u.s soccer you know that do take a very corporate approach to it that have that have like a board that have a president that have membership dues and that's fine but we're more about the interpersonal experience so i think just that interpersonal sincerity the Mm -hmm. sincerity is kind of what links people together so being the songwriter and the chant leader and correct me if i'm wrong how do you come up with ideas? Well, there, there's there's actually a lot of us. And if anyone can come up with a catchy ass song, like a catchy, <laughs> catchy song, and it's not it's not corny and it's not cringy and it's not like a Disney song, chances are we're going to do it. You know, last season, 
I think Alicia started a song uh, based off of, uh, I think, Aaliyah or something like that. You know, I have one in my head, like based off of a Janet Jackson song that I like. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just about what do you hear like in your everyday life? And how can you make, can you, how can you put Phoenix Rising into it? So how does it feel when your group, when you're like, yes, this is a catchy song. This is it. Like, what is that? What is that feeling like? There's no other feeling that comes close to those astrology people say, like when you're on the same vibration as other people, like when you're on the same wavelength as everybody else around you and you're like 30 individuals going at the same intensity, the same, when, when you're on the same, same wavelength, there's nothing mm -hmm. like it. It, it, it. And that's what we that's what we miss. That's what we, you know, look forward to every weekend. Now, talking about being on the same wavelength, I am really curious. Whenever I've gone to games, it always seems like the supporting group, they are literally on the same page. How do you guys coordinate that before the game? In the first, in the first years, it really was like, what songs do we know best? And then we'll go with that. And over time, people that took notice of that, they just saw us do it and they repeated it. That's literally what it takes. Just lead by example. There's no, there's no choreography. There's no, there's no like practice. I mean, there are practices that can happen when there's like a new song being introduced or if the guys with the instruments need to kind of brush up on, they just haven't played in a while or they're trying to learn a new song. They'll practice for that. The look of it is spontaneous, but it's organized chaos. You're one of us. So how do you think regular fans view supporter groups like the Banditos? I think there's a there's an element of like excitement and confusion, you know, because like you're like, OK, are these guys like uh, paid by the team to do all this because they're putting a lot of effort into this? And there's just a lot of curiosity because something like this really doesn't exist in other like spheres of U.S. sports. You know, no other sport in the U.S. really has an organized support like movement like this in any other sport in the country. So. It's odd for people who, who maybe go to like their first soccer game in their, first, in, in their entire lives, right? They are used to this idea of what soccer is in their heads and they go to it. They see what actual professional soccer is on the pitch for the first time, which actually may surprise them. But on the flip side, they're actually seeing like the participation of fans in the stands and they're like, wow, you know, the soccer isn't just, you know, 22 people kicking the ball around. It's, it's, it's all this. So I think for a lot of people, it's excitement, confusion. To be honest, a lot of people get like intimidated. I can say confidently because they've never seen like brown people or punk looking people be so like bold and like unapologetic and be so like, you know, just confident. And how does that make you feel and the group? To be honest, I mean, the, the first year, the first couple of years, we got a lot of shouts like that, you know, and, and to this day, there are people who, you know, who will go as far as to say that, you know, we don't allow anyone who's not Latino, right, which is complete BS. You know, we, we have a widely diverse group, you know, in, in our ranks, we have, you know, several versions of Latinos, we have several backgrounds amongst our American folk. We have several Europeans in there. So we do take it personal. When the group first started, it was mostly Chicanos and, and you know, Latinos, you know, Mexicans and Central Americans. And, you know, we had to be open to be like welcoming and receptive of people who wanted to join, you know, whoever they might be. When you're putting in that energy and that initiative in the stance, you kind of have to like not tone it down when it when it means talking to someone new 
but you have to be like mentally prepared to kind of talk to someone at, on their wavelength when they're new, you know, of any background. People who kind of make those kind of remarks are completely ignorant of the process it takes to welcome a new person in, especially if like if they're not, but, you know, if they don't have any experience in this, you know, they don't, they don't know how much it takes to bring someone on board. And you mentioned the group is really inclusive. For example, I saw that you guys had initiatives and projects to support the LGBTQT community. Besides being a supporting group, how important do you think those activities done outside of the stadium impacts your community? From the very get-go, the circumstance in which Zach and I met was because of, you know, the prior owner making a very public endorsement of Trump, right? And we were completely against that. From that event, we said, you know, this will be an explicitly political group. You know, we're going to make political stances on our banners, on the streets, on our posts, you know. So um, in terms of what the group's place is in the community, I think it's just to amplify, amplify the message, not to let people forget just because they're at a soccer game. No way. No way. You think you're just going to be able to forget it just because you're seeing a ball roll around? No, we're not going to let you forget. And, and it's not just... In the state, in the in the stadium, that we try to make our voices clear. You know, we attended the first protest against Trump when he went to Phoenix um, over the summer. Several members of ours, along with Zach Lubin, the goalkeeper, attended regularly the Black Lives Matter marches. You know, and we were not. We, we didn't make it like, oh, this is a bandido specific, you know, march or anything. We didn't try to center ourselves in that. You know, we just went along with the crowd and and had. We showed our solidarity with the with a moment, you know. So again, it, I think our place is to amplify the message and to amplify the the pulse of what's going on. And you mentioned in a previous article that at a point you had some fears just regarding to being so vocal about these touchy topics, but eventually you kind of were just like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, what what changed to make you feel almost at ease with? what you and your group were doing people saw that we were right after all after all this time people will call this too political overzealous you know they called this a whole bunch of stuff from the very beginning and again it was because people were not used to the concept that you could see political imagery or, or political messages at a game and with time because of the gravity of these social events people have seen that like oh wow these NBA teams are saying Black Lives Matter and this and that. These big corporations are saying this and that and this and that. So is it really that, I guess, foreign and, and like outrageous that a group would go on and do the same thing? I think there was a point like around 20, like mid-2017 like mid when Trump, when basically when Charlottesville happened, right? Uh, we made a very, very, very like staunch stance on what we believed in. And that's when we faced like the most amount of backlash. Um, but off the back of that, off of the dialogue we had with the team, you know, we kind of understood that there was a, there was a desire for everyone to at least, you know, appreciate each other's like energy towards working towards the same goal, which is making sure the team can survive. And if we can learn more about each other along the way, then, then, then we'll do that. After that dialogue with the team, it made us feel better about the things that we were trying to do because for a while we only really discussed these kind of matters with a couple of, you know, the staff and the ownership, but not all of them. But after that event and, and after what we did in, in 2017, 
a lot of the staff and a lot of the owners were more open to at least that discussion with us, even if they don't agree with us, they were at least willing to talk with us. And before that, I don't know if it's because we weren't sure if we were the kind of crowd they would talk to, or maybe they weren't sure as to how to approach us as to how to, you know, talk to us as individuals. But over time, it's been a mixture of just seeing how these messages are becoming commonplace throughout all of society and finding the individuals in place within the team to, who are open to having this kind of discussions. Mm-hmm. So aside from being a support group who helps with the marketing and the ticket sales, why do you think professional soccer organizations have difficulties embracing groups such as the Banditos? It's just a, it's just a foreign um, concept to a lot of people. Also, we have to be like realistic in the fact that a lot of people who work within the U.S. soccer have worked from prior sports, prior sports backgrounds that don't have to do with soccer. And, you know, with that comes the challenge of, oh, there's this group of, of individuals who are extremely like independent, who are self-reliant, and we can't really sell to them. We can't use our sales pitches on them. We can't really assume our salesman personalities with them. And they have a hard time with that because in this country, there's a there's like this encouragement that a good fan is a good consumer, right? In order to be a good fan, you have to be a good consumer first. To be a good fan, you have to demand that your team is the best. You have to demand that your concessions are the best in the country. You have to demand that your seat is the most comfy in the whole league. And that consumerism is what teams try to chase and give first as opposed to providing a setting where a fan, where a fan base can create something out of itself. That's interesting. Yeah. So what would you want to see in a professional organization in regards to their ability in really accepting groups and really being supportive of the mission that you guys have? Well, uh, kind of following the example of, you know, maybe Phoenix Rising, you know, there's other teams who are doing great. The Seattle Sounders have a long history with their supporters. The uh, Portland Timbers have a long history with theirs. LAFC is working on something very interesting over there. I would, like, if anyone is listening to this and they're, like, an aspiring team owner, just accept the idea that you're not going to have control over it. You know, let the supporters decide what their section is going to be called. Let them decide whether they want memberships or not. Let them decide what the messaging is going to be let them decide how they like guard their section you don't need a thousand security guards in there if you have a group that can you know watch over itself well it'll take care of itself like what we do in phoenix when someone's you know acting crazy and stuff like that you know we isolate them we make sure they're front and center and then we have someone take them away you know we don't like we don't cry for a cop to come and rescue us, we say, hey, this guy threw a can on the field, get him out, stuff like that. Or this guy is, you know, saying, you know, stuff out of bigotry or whatever, get him out, stuff like that. Organizations, they have to have an open mind that sometimes they're not going to have sole control over everything. And that's okay. Now, the MLS commissioner, Don Garber, a couple of years ago said, Stadiums are not environments where our fans should be expressing political views mm-hmm. because you then are automatically opening yourself up to allowing counter views. 
How do you see this statement impacting Phoenix Rising FC if they were eventually to join the MLS? Uh, well, not all counterviews are good. Not all counterviews are good. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. We're not afraid to say that. When we say Black Lives Matter, what's the counterview of that going to be? They don't matter? Really? Like, do you think we're just going to sit by and, and accept that? You think the team is just going to sit by and accept that be a message, you know, being uh, lauded around in the stadium? No, not all counterviews are good. That's why the discussion has to take place. For a lot of the staff, again, this is maybe the first time they've talked to someone in this sort of interpersonal relationship who maybe is Mexican, who maybe is Chicano, who maybe is, you know, not of their economic or social class. But the fact that they have that open mind to at least have that dialogue will take them halfway. If they don't agree with what's going on, at least they can understand why it's happening. And frankly, groups are going to do what they're going to do. So we were on our political, like, messaging and on our political, like, stuff way before, way before Don Garber made that comment because of the anti-fascist symbols being shown on MLS. We were on that a year before that happened. And there was no one showing us like solidarity there was no one saying oh kudos to bandidos no one was doing that and we had to be accepting of the fact that not everybody agreed with that dda drogba preferred that we he told us himself he told us in person that he and the players preferred to see symbols and and imagery showing support of the players first and foremost here's dda drogba the dda drogba telling you that himself like oh you know, you're, you're, you're there and you're like, well, <laughs> that's the guy. That's the guy. That's him. So we, we took that into consideration. It really depends on who it's coming from. If it's out of the fear of scaring sponsors away, that's not a good excuse. If it's out of fear of alienating your entire fan base, what kind of club do you have? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what kind of, what kind of culture are you starting from the top where saying a, saying a phrase that is pro um, acceptance is somehow alienating your fan base. Like if that's the case, then it's something is wrong from the top. And that's why you have to get ahead of it from the start so that it works from ground up. So if Phoenix rising were to be in the MLS today, are you telling me that you guys would just keep it the same? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why, why? does Portland Timbers get to do it but not Houston why does Seattle Sounders get to do it but not I don't know um Real Salt Lake why does LAFC get to do it but not I don't know um New York like New York Red Bulls and why do you think there's that discrepancy well one because the league is very much aware of who is behind these teams and they are aware of like the political makeup of say a Portland or Seattle or in LA they're aware of the individuals that are behind it and they're aware that they're not going to be able to like use the civility argument in terms of a way to pacify them right whereas with some other teams who have a lot more writing on civility they're going to be able to use that a lot more effectively like a Houston like for Real Salt Lake like you know the New York Red Bulls where there is so much at play when the state doesn't feel itself every weekend, no matter what. There's so much writing on a neutral like level of marketing and neutral level of engagement that they will give into that. So what, if any worries, um, do you have leading a support group 
um, that refuses to back down to the pressure of U.S. soccer when it comes to politics, um, racism, things like that. Do you have any worries? I think banned. Um, that, that is a very real reality. It does happen. Um, you know, being removed, like on the part of like a league sanction, it, it can happen, you know. Uh, and maybe they won't say because they're using political imagery, but they'll say because they're breaking the supporters like code, essentially, like the supporters guidelines, that is the pretext to having a group being removed. Yeah. Now, looking back from the time that you guys created this group, what would you have done differently? I think we just would have been more communicative with the, I guess, the front office and the ownership from the get-go. Uh, again, there, there was this, I don't know if it was like a misconception or like a kind of, like a lack of assurance that maybe they weren't super approachable and maybe they didn't know how to like approach us. So maybe just kind of having that dialogue and that openness from the get-go. And what do you want people to remember about you, Marco? Me? Mm-hmm. I just helped out. <laughs> you just helped out. Yeah. I That's just helped awesome. out. What advice would you tell your younger self? Believe in yourself and do the same thing. Mm-hmm.